0: good morning we're so glad you're with us this morning at South City Church Uh, we got a lot of visitors we're so glad that you're here thanks for joining us and worshiping with us what a privilege it is to have you with us we mean that thank you for for worshiping with us today my name is Drew Klein I'm one of the pastors here and it is our honor to have you uh, be a part of what God's doing in us Um, we've been going through a series on Sunday mornings called acts the story of the church And what an incredible story it is, isn't it? I mean, I just love this book. I love how God uh, continues to show us so many things, especially uh, kind of this overview. Acts is sort of this overview of the expansion and the establishment of the gospel uh, around the world. And uh, what's cool, though, about where we've been is, you know, last summer we were walking through Acts and we were kind of talking a little bit about the, uh, uh, the scattering of the church. We talked about Stephen and Stephen's message. And, and of course, Stephen is martyred. And after Stephen's martyred, the church gets out of Dodge, so to speak. Uh, and when they leave, as quickly as they can, they take with them the gospel. And as they take the gospel to Judea and Samaria and the rest of the world, they fulfill Jesus' prophecy in Acts 1.8 when he says, I going to give you power, power to be my witnesses in Judea and Samaria and the rest of the world, right? And so the people actually begin to fulfill that prophecy. Uh, by taking the gospel through that scattering to the rest of the world. And what's cool is, so then last, I think it was last winter, we chose to go through a series in the book of James, which was basically kind of when that happened. Pastor James was the pastor of the church in Jerusalem, and so he's now reaching out to his people who are now scattered around Jerusalem and around, outside of Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria. And so we kind of walked through that as the scattering was taking place. And then we jump back in. This is our third summer in the book of Acts. We jump back into Acts. And now we're talking kind of through some of the missionary journeys. We've gone through the first one. Now we're sort of in the middle of the second one. And what's so cool to me about this is that God is allowing us, I don't know about you, but I feel like he's showing us a little bit about the New Testament maybe that you haven't considered as much about. So now we've seen Paul actually go to Galatia. And we go, hey, that sounds familiar, right? There's a book called what? Yeah, what a quinky dink, Right that he writes this book back to this people that he's, he's connected to. Last week, we were finishing up our, our time through uh, Philippi. And he, he wrote a book called, there you go, come on, you're, you're catching on there. He wrote a book called Philippians. And so we can, now we can read, we can see the overview in Acts. But you wanna go, I wanna kinda dig a little deeper. and I wanna kinda know what happened a little bit more in these places. Go read these letters to these people. And this Sunday, we get to see that now Paul's going to make his way into Macedonia further uh, to the capital, into Thessalonica. And of course, we know that there's a couple of letters called, yeah, way to go. Okay, you got it now. You got it now. So I don't know about you, but it just seems like these stories and these letters of the New Testament are coming to life. We get to hear these stories of these people. So when you read Philippians, you think about a slave girl. And you think about a wealthy entrepreneur lady by the name of Lydia. And you think about a jailer. All who've been redeemed by Jesus. And they have a new life and a new hope, right? And so when we read Philippians, we go, I I know who he's talking to, right? So today we get to see he's going to make his way to Thessalonica. So if you have your uh, Bible, look with me in Acts chapter 17. Remember last week, Paul has left Philippi. uh, Not in a prideful way, I don't think but in a confident way. His confidence, of course, not in himself, but in the one who has given him freedom out of that jail and also given him some respect among the leaders of Philippi. And they've come and apologized for jailing him. And now he's walking out. He goes by Lydia's house. That's right, I'm going to go by Lydia's house. Yep, just taking my time, you know. So he goes and sees Lydia, and he gets to see the other brothers in the church, and then he sort of makes his way out of town. He doesn't leave kind of rushed, like he's done before and like he's going to do again later today. He takes his time and in doing so establishes some respect for the believers in Philippi and hopefully protects this burgeoning church that's taking place in Philippi. So look with me today in Acts 17 verses 1 through 9. It says, Now when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul went in. But the Jews were jealous, and taking some wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob, set the city in an uproar, and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out to the crowd. And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authority, shouting, These men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. And Jason has received them, and they are all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus. Jesus. And the people and the city authorities were disturbed when they heard these things. And when they had taken money as security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. Would you pray with me this morning as we get into our text? Father, thank you so much for your word. Lord, thank you that, that Luke has given us this account and this record. And yet it's deeper than an account. It's deeper than history and a recording of what happened. Lord, I pray that you would use your, your word, this text, these stories, these people, your presence in their lives, just as as it is in ours, and change us, Lord, as a result of what we read today, how we study and how we obey uh, what you're asking us to do, how we live for you, Lord. So humble our hearts, open our minds, God, to the truth. Help us to see you and change us, God, as a result of being in your word and with you in your presence today. In Jesus' name, and God's people said, Amen. Amen. Well, Paul and uh, Silas and Timothy, that's the team right now, uh, they leave Philippi and they go about 100 miles over the Aegean coast and they've got a specific place they want to go, right? Do you remember the vision that came to Paul? The vision was a man saying, we need help in Macedonia. And so I think in Paul's mind, he's thinking Macedonia, let's go to Macedonia. Where do we go in Macedonia, right? Well, you might as well go to the capital, He's, he's making a beeline for the capital. And so he goes through Amphipolis and Apollonium, these two towns, and uh, he goes directly to Thessalonica. It was the capital. It's a very wealthy, influential town. Um, and I think that's where he wanted to be. I think we always see Paul going to these places of influence because if the gospel can take root in Thessalonica, where there's influence and wealth, then the gospel can go forth around the world. And I think that's what we see in Paul's strategy here. Uh, We've talked about this several times. We call it the Pauline cycle. And now Luke even speaks to it, right? He says, as was his habit. Paul's a creature of habit. Uh, This was his custom, I should say, to go into a town and to find a synagogue. Now, Philippi didn't have one. They didn't have a synagogue because it takes 10 men to establish a synagogue, Jewish men. So evidently, Philippi didn't have that. So they went to this place of prayer. Well, now he's in Thessalonica. They've got a synagogue. Paul's like... (laughs) synagogue, right? This is where he wants to be. He wants to be with the Jewish people at the hub of Jewish culture. He wants to show them what you've been looking for is the Messiah. And guess what I'm about to tell you, right? Can you just imagine what's on Paul's heart? (laughs) You know, you do that way, don't you, with your family? When you're saving like a really fun secret and you can't already tell, I can't wait to tell, you know, the kids or whatever the case may be. Paul is so excited. They read every Sabbath of this Messiah. And yet Paul knows that he's going to bring to them in this synagogue the truth that Jesus is Messiah. I'm going to help you see full circle the truth of this story of God. And he's excited to help open the eyes of the people in this synagogue. So as was his custom, he goes to the synagogue. And he works with them, it says, for three separate Sabbaths. So for three weeks in a row, Paul's coming back and he's working with them. He's speaking with them about this Messiah. Uh, if you're following along in your car, this is going to be our first point today: Paul's persuasive ministry. Now, what I love about what Luke does in this text is he—you might not notice it—but he helps break down some of Luke's strategy that can help us as we work to see people come to know Jesus. By the way, do you know that's our responsibility, right? That's our job we got to make Jesus known. And and some of us are like, I don't know how to do that. That's scary for me, right? Well, Paul's going to give us, Luke actually is going to show us some of Paul's strategy today and help us understand what does it take to tell people about Jesus? Because like Paul, we've got the answer for the world, right? Or do we? I don't know, do we? Maybe we don't. Well, come on then. We have the answer for the world. We've got to know that. We've got to believe that in our souls. And so when we're speaking to people, we know the truth. And our hope and our prayer and our communication is that they would know the truth, that Jesus is Lord, that he is Messiah, and that he will heal everything. He'll make all things new. He'll get it right. And so we have this answer. And Paul has this. It's it's fire shut up in his bones. And he helps people explain. He he helps people understand. So here we are. Let's look at verse 2 says, and Paul went in, as was his custom, and on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them. Now, I want to stop right there just for a minute. He reasoned with them. This is the first, first thing I want you to see. Paul is reasoning. What does it mean to reason with somebody? What does that mean? I, we, we, want to, we want to reason with people. When well, the Greek, it literally just means a dialogue. See, what I'm doing this morning is a monologue. I'm speaking to you, and some. Now I do want you to speak back a little, but not too much. (laughs) But thank you, Harold. But what he's doing, he's sitting down and going, "Hey, let's have a conversation." And in order to have a conversation with somebody, you got to listen to people. Do you know that? You got to hear what they're saying. You got to see from their point of view. You got to be patient. You got to interject here. You got to speak here. You got to talk there. You got to listen. You got to look in their eyes. You got to be present. You got to have a relationship. And Paul is building that. He's reasoning with people. He's hearing them. Do you know, anytime we try and shove the truth down somebody's throat, it's not going to do anything for the gospel. It's not going to do anything for those people. In fact, it might even turn those people away from the gospel. That's not the way to share what we believe with people. Sometimes we get in this match of who's going to win, right? Apologetics, let's go at it. No, no. Let's reason. Let's talk. Then he does something else. Says uh, was his custom, and on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the Scriptures, verse three, explaining. It's the second thing I want you to see. He explains, right now. What does it mean to explain? In the Greek, the the word literally just means to open. Just going to open. I want you just to see the truth here. I want to open your eyes. I want to open the scripture. I want to open your heart. I want to explain this, right? Sometimes we have these situations with our kids. I, had one, I have one often <laughs> with my kids. But it's kind of those things where I was really frustrated about something the other day, something one of my children had done, and I let them know that. And then I kept coming back to them trying to explain, do you realize why daddy was upset? I want to open their heart to understand why I got so crazy. Do you understand? Do you you see? We want people to see. We want to explain in such a way that it opens their heart, their minds, their eyes to what God wants to do and who he is. That's what it means to explain. It's the same word that's used in Luke 24 when it talks about um, Jesus. I love the story of Jesus on this road called Emmaus. He comes alongside these two disciples, and they're walking, and it's been a pretty crazy time, right? Jesus is resurrected from the grave. Well, he doesn't reveal to them that he's Jesus, which is, I don't know how you do that. It's an awesome, like, cloak of invisibility or something. I don't know what it is. But Jesus is walking alongside these two disciples, and he's like, hey, what's up? And they don't realize it's Jesus. And he's like, they say, well, what do you mean, what's up? You haven't known what's going on? Where have you been? I mean, Jerusalem is going crazy. Where.'" (laughs) What do you mean what's going on? He said, Well, tell me what's going on. I just wish I could have been there, don't you? And the and the guy said, Well, there's Jesus. There's this guy, Jesus, he's the Messiah, He was crucified, and he he, he died. Obviously, when you're crucified, you die, everybody knows that. He died, and, and then, but one of the ladies who who's part of our group, they they went, they saw that he's not there. He's resurrected, and, and we're all freaking out. We don't know what to do. It's like, you know. And then it says that Jesus explains the scriptures about himself to those two disciples. Can you imagine how cool? I mean, we're talking to all the Old Testament up to this point of Jesus' life and resurrection. He explains himself throughout the scriptures and yet still hasn't opened their eyes. A little bit later, they go and they eat. And while they're eating, Jesus reveals himself and allows them to see who he is. And they're like, oh my gosh. And Jesus disappears. And they say, didn't our hearts burn within us? Listen, when we we open people's minds, when we explain to them the beauty of who Jesus is and the beauty of the story of the gospel, their hearts will burn. My heart's burning right now. I can't believe, right? The beauty of this story that God would love me so much that he would send his only perfect son to die for me. They will burn, Their, their hearts will be open to the truth. And then let's look and see what he says next. He he reasons with them from the scriptures, verse 2, verse 3, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead. Now, when you prove something, some of you get in the attitude of like, well, I'm going to prove you wrong, right? That's not the spirit here, right? Instead, the proving is to give evidence. That's what it means. I want to prove this. I'm going to give you evidence. Paul, I'm sure, goes on to tell all the different things uh, about Jesus uh, being present. Just like in 1 Corinthians 15, where he says, 500 people saw Jesus resurrected from the dead. That's incredible proof. I mean, that's that's unbelievable. And he gives all these different proofs and evidences of who Jesus is. So he's reasoned which is a dialogue, a conversation, listening, speaking. He's explained, which is to open their eyes, to open their hearts to the truth. He's proved, he's given evidence, but I'm telling you, the strongest evidence that Paul gives is himself, right? Paul says, listen, I know you don't know me that well, maybe, but let me just tell you who I am. I'm a killer. I killed people in the church with a stamp of approval from the Jews, with a zeal to run them out of their homes, men and women and children, and to put them to death. I smiled, thinking I was doing the right thing until this Jesus showed up on the road to Damascus and knocked me down and blinded me. And Jesus himself said, why do you persecute me? A few days later, I I can see A man comes and prays for me and tells me that God has has spoken to him and that he wants me to to be his witness to the Gentiles and to kings. And then I can see and I'm saved and I know this Jesus because I've seen him and I'm baptized and now I've gone from persecutor to preacher. And I want the truth to be known. Do you want evidence? It's right here. You don't have to look any further and you know what? Paul will ultimately give his life as evidence of the reality of who Jesus is. He spoke with them, he reasoned. He helped open their minds. He explained and he proved, showing evidence, but his greatest evidence and greatest proof was his own life. You kind of see in the text where he goes from a cerebral aspect, right? Reasoning, explaining, proving, those are all kind of thought processes. Then he goes to an emotional one, do you see this? Look in the text. He goes to emotional when he says, this Jesus whom I proclaim to you is the Christ. Do you feel that? Do you feel the strength in that? I don't know about you, but Paul was a strong guy. He's a strong speaker. He's a strong presence. And you know that when he said that, he said said it with a power and conviction. In fact, that's what he says in the book of 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 5. He says, for we know, brothers, Loved by God that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you, not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. Paul with strength said, this Jesus whom I'm talking to you about, I'm, I'm sharing with you about, he is the Messiah. He is the Christ. I proclaim the truth to you and I'm the greatest evidence of such a thing. And when that happens, it says some of them were persuaded. Persuaded. What does that word mean? That means you're having a reasoning. The dictionary literally says, through reasoning, you win someone over. You urge someone to go from their point of view to your point of view. You help them to see the truth. People are persuaded to join uh, the team, persuaded to, to know Jesus. In essence, we get to see this really cool process of evangelism that Paul shows us here, Right? I mean, if we could do these things with our coworkers, with our families, with our, with our kids, with our neighbors, just reason, just talk. Can we just have a conversation? And it may just be that over lunch one day. Huh, okay, that's cool. I didn't know where you stood. That's awesome. I, I now I know kind of what you believe and where you're at. Cool, great, thanks. That, maybe that's the first meeting. Hey, well, let me, can I show you some things that I think are kind of neat about the Bible and the story of God? That might be the second, I don't know. Can I, can I show you the proof in my life? I, I know that people who knew me back in the day, <laughs> they can't give any other explanation to what's changed in my life apart from God himself has given me a new life. I'm not the same person. Yeah, I still make some of the same old mistakes. Yeah, I still believe some of the same lies sometimes. But God has changed me radically and that's not something I could do by myself, right? Self-help won't get me there. It's the grace of Jesus has taken me from death to life. Listen, these, these different pieces of strategy can help people understand the gospel. It can open their minds, but the thing we need to know this morning is every person makes a choice. When you leave here today, you're making a choice. How your life is lived, the things you think, the places you go, the way you spend your money, the way you spend your time, the things that are most important to you speak of what you believe. I'm a Christ follower or I'm not not just what you say it's what you do it's who you are in each of our lives have to give a verdict for who Jesus is and in this moment some people were persuaded but you to know, notice that this ministry it took time he went back three weeks doing these things week after week now we know that through the Thessalonian letters we feel like maybe he was there for months but he was at least in the synagogue for those three weeks ministry and evangelism sometimes takes time Discipleship takes time. It takes patience. And notice this, not all were persuaded. I can speak my heart out up here. You know me, I cry a lot. I I can cry some tears up here. I can do my very best, and some of you will walk out of here going, whatever. Some were persuaded, even with Paul. But we each have to give a verdict. Who is this Jesus? Do we believe him to be the Christ? It says that uh, many were persuaded. It says that they were uh, Greeks. Uh, there were many leading women, meaning that they were wealthy and prominent women in the culture. Not, uh, not, uh, it was not just a few. It was many. And so all these people had come to hear Paul preach and then leave, at least with three weeks later, changed. But what do we say happens when anytime you take the gospel of Jesus anywhere, right? Opposition. Shows its ugly head. Look at Acts 17, 5. But the Jews were jealous, and taking some wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob, set the city in an uproar, and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out to the crowd. And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, these men who have turned the whole world upside down have come here also, and Jason has received them, and they are all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying, there's another king, Jesus. And the people in the city authorities were disturbed when they heard these things. And when they had taken money, as security from Jason, and the rest, they let them go. You know, I, I called this next section collateral damage. That's a military term for when people who were not intended to be affected by an action are affected, right? A bomb hits in an area with ISIS and great, let's take out the bad guy. But unfortunately, there were some townspeople that were also affected. It's collateral damage. There there are things that happen in the church, right? There's kind of two sides of the coin. The good side is there are people who are owning ministry and owning mission and they're they're learning and they're growing and they're saying, I wanna be a part of that. That's that's the good kind, right? But there's also persecution that comes along. And the enemy goes, oh, you're gonna be a part of that? I'm gonna bring some persecution into your lifestyle, right? Oh, you're joining that group? okay, I'm gonna come alongside and come against you. And so that's what we see happen here with this guy by the name of Jason. Jason, evidently, he's not the guy they were looking for. They were looking for Paul and the team. But they find Jason because evidently he was hosting Paul and his team. And these Jews, they go and get basically some bums, right? It says the rabble. They go, they go rouse up the troublemakers. Let's just get some guys who are willing to get it going. Get a fight started and stir up the city. So they get these guys and they, they go to Jason's home to pull Paul and, and Silas And Timothy out, but they don't find them. They only find Jason. So they bring Jason out and some other brothers. They bring them out of his home into the street. Now, this is a scary moment. This is a scary moment. But I just keep thinking, man, we we need more people like Jason. We don't, don't you think? We need more people like Jason who are willing to be, stand next to the fire. Say, yep, I'm a part of this group. Yeah, I'm going to host this. Yes, I'm going to lead this. I'm going to do this thing. And and, like if somebody were to rush in here and do a raid today, who are the Christians connected to South City? Would they go right past you? Go, no, I don't recognize you. Or would they go, oh, yeah, you're a part of this group, aren't you? You know, I was thinking about this this morning. This is our covenant. This is why we're a covenantal church. The covenant says, I'm not just going to be here to listen to a message. I don't wanna just be here and take in some music. I don't wanna just come to an event. The covenant says, I am with these people. These are my people. This is my family. I stand with them. I love them. I'm not going anywhere. I'm gonna serve them. I'm gonna care for them. That's what a covenant does. And Jason is living out of that type of a covenant as believers in this area. You know, we, we don't know a whole lot about Jason. We hear about him one other time. In the book of Romans, chapter 16, I believe it is. And we hear that that Jason is still with Paul. I love that. Many years later, Jason still doing this mission, still doing this ministry with Paul. He's still bought in to what God is doing. He's still making Jesus known. Listen, I, I believe... I believe with all my heart that God has lit a fire here by his spirit in our church. Some of you know what I'm talking about. You feel the warmth. You feel the energy. You feel the excitement. You feel the Lord moving. People are being saved. People are being discipled. Uh, uh, Our community is beginning to go, oh yeah, South City, I know what you guys are about. I believe with all my heart God has lit a fire by his spirit in our church of the moving and working of the Holy Spirit. The question is, are you close enough to what God is doing in our church that you smell like smoke? Do you? If not, come be a part of us. If not, jump in with us and lead. Join the covenant with us. Be a part, be a partner, be a family member with us. You know, in just a week and a half, we're gonna do our What's Next uh, group. It's right here. All you have to do is point your camera at this little thing and you can register for our What's Next group, and you can learn more about our church, and you can jump in with us, and you can be used. We'll get to know what your gifts are, and we'll send you out. But do you smell like smoke? Are you standing with us in mission and ministry? Are you giving of your resources the way you do in a family, which is your time and your money, and your heart and your soul, right? Are we giving to the family? for the sake of the kingdom. Are we faithful to our city groups, to our services? Because that's part of our mission. As we have new people that we're here to say, man, we're so glad you're here. It's a big deal. We need people who are so close to all that God is doing here. You might think they're on staff, right? I think about Heidi. I think about Laura Mesker. I think about so many of you that you might think they're kind of on staff. They're just leading well. They're just volunteering. They're just serving Jesus in such a beautiful and outstanding way that they might as well be on staff. They smell like smoke of the fire that God has lit in us. Can I invite you to the fire? Don't be settled for consumer life. This church, that church, what does it give me? Do I like it? No, dig in where the Holy Spirit of God is at work and come shoulder to shoulder with us. This mission of Jesus to this city. Amen? Verse 6 says this, And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, These men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. Now, the guy who's saying this is referring to Paul's team. He's not referring to Jason. And he's talking about, what's so funny, he's talking about how all these mobs have formed, which he, you know, he's a part of one that was kind of the fake mob. It's like, but he's, he's right. And I mean, the world is changing. Paul and other apostles are changing the world by taking the gospel of Jesus forward. It's beautiful. But I got to say this, I think they're right, but I think he said it wrong. they're not turning the world upside down. They're turning the world upside, right side up. That's what I think. They're turning the world right side up. Have you ever been to Branson, Missouri? I know most of you have maybe. And there's this place. I think it's the Ripley's Believe It or Not place. You know what I'm talking about? And it looks like a building that's a normal building with a roof and stuff that somebody's just taking and going, boom, slammed it down on its roof. You know what I'm talking about? But when you walk in, it's a fairly normal building with a lot of abnormal stuff in it. It's weird in there. Right? I think that's kind of the point. They wanted to get your attention. This is what I think, I think our world is already turned upside down. See, when God created this place, it was right side up. And then sin entered the picture. Sin changed things. Now we have murder and strife and envy and all these things that have, that have turned the world upside down and it's not what God intended. And every time a sinner comes to know Jesus, and every time a church is planted, and every time we as disciples in Jesus get to know him more, we go deeper in his word, We're very slowly but surely turning this world right side up. I want to be one of those men that does that. Because I've seen the truth. Anybody remember the movie The Matrix? We talk about it. It's a great sermon illustration on many different levels. I can't believe it's been 20 years since it came out. Can you believe that? None feel old now, don't you? Came out in 1999. And the thing about the matrix is so interesting is there's this guy by the name of Neo. He's just a computer programmer. And life is just blah. You know, he goes from home to work and work to whatever else. And life just doesn't mean that much. But he keeps noticing some things in the computer program that kind of make him go, what is this? And they keep making him think, is there something more to this? Is there something behind this glitch? What's going on? I don't understand it. And then he meets this guy, and this guy says, take this pill. And if you'll take this pill, when you take this pill, it's going to open your eyes. Neo takes the pill, and of course, exactly what he said happens. His eyes are opened, and he actually begins to see the world for what it really is, right? He begins to see himself for who he really is. And he sees that the world is actually— completely upside down and it's up to him and his team to get it turned right side up and that he actually has a responsibility that he personally can change the world. But it's only because now he can see the truth for what it is. That's what Jesus does in our lives. Right? When we allow Jesus to be the Lord and King of our lives, we begin to see him for who he really is. This world for as broken as it really is. We don't go from, from work to, to school or home or wherever just like this, oh, I gotta, I'm, just, I'm just, you know, working to live. No, when Jesus changes our hearts, opens our eyes, we go, whoa, I have a purpose. You mean this world is turned upside down and I've got a few friends that I'm in covenant with and our job is to get it turned right side up. And we can make change and we can help people and we can love and we can do things that will do that very thing. See, this guy was saying, he's with this group of people and they're just, they're making a mess from city to city. When really they were making a change. They were making disciples from city to city. Acts 17 verse 7 through 9 says, Jason has received them. This guy's still talking. He's received them. He's been hosting them. And they're all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying there is another king, Jesus. And the people and the city authorities were disturbed when they heard these things. And when they had taken money and security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. Like a lot of public figures, this statement is both true and false. It's both true and false. There's elements of truth and lies. It's a lie that Paul and his team we're trying to go against Caesar's decree. That's a lie. In fact, if you know Paul's writing, you know that Paul is, has said very clearly that he, he wants us to give uh, honor and to, to, to do the things that, that Caesar wants them to do and, and to pray for our leaders, right? Romans uh, 13. Peter says the very similar thing in 1 Peter 2. We're to pray for our city leaders. We're to pray for our national leaders. We're to, to bless them. God's placed them in uh, authority over us, he says. He's not trying to go against Caesar's decrees. That's a lie. And what's even more dangerous than this is if he's charged with this uh, crime, it's a crime of treason, which is punishable by death. It's very serious. In fact, Jesus was accused of the very same crime. Look at Luke 23, verse 2. It says, Speaking of Jesus, and they began to accuse him saying, we found this man misleading our nation and forbidding us to give tribute to Caesar and saying that he himself is Christ, a king. I didn't put the rest of this on here, but Pontius Pilate right after this comes to Jesus and says, well, is it true? Are you a king? And Jesus says, it is as you say. <laughs> in other words, you better believe it, right? love it. Listen, there's, there's a lie in the man's statement and there's truth. The lie is that they're going against Caesar's decrees. That's a lie. But the truth is that there, in fact, is another king. It's not Caesar. His name is Jesus. He is the other king. The other point in your card is this Jesus is the greater king. Jesus is without a doubt the greater king. I love John Stott uh, as a one who writes the commentaries and has written a wonderful uh, standard for the book of Acts. He says in that standard called the message of Acts On the one hand, as, as Christian people, we are called to be conscientious and law abiding citizens, never revolutionaries, right? Not revolutionaries. On the other hand, the kingship of Jesus has unavoidable political implications, since as his loyal subjects, we must refuse to give any ruler or ideology the supreme homage and total obedience which are due to him alone. I think he says it perfectly. So yeah, we are citizens of a nation. We honor, we pray for, we, we, we're good citizens. But we don't want to be better citizens of, of the United States of America than we are the citizens of heaven. We got to know where our allegiance lies. Yes, we're supportive of our country, but we're more supportive of Jesus. I heard a, a something going on at Liberty University that I'm I'm kind of blown away by. Uh, There's there's a a conference of of pastors that are getting together to help their people know how to vote. And that's very scary. I have an opinion, and I will vote one way or another, but you won't hear how, (laughs) right? I do have an opinion. I feel very strongly about it. But anytime the church begins to say, we need to vote in a certain way for our nation— That sounds like Nazi Germany to me. That sounds like a people who go, yeah, I'm going to place my nationalistic pride over my gospel-centered life. And so, yeah, I don't have to, I'll be a Christian second. And yeah, you want to kill certain groups of people? Sure, we'll do that because that's our nationalistic obedience. Oh my gosh, we have to be careful. We have to be careful. We have to follow Jesus. The church is neither red nor blue. The church is made up of many different people. We have to be so careful. I have my opinion. I will vote my convictions, as should you. But we ought to be able to stand in a place and acknowledge that Jesus can be seen in different people, in different sides, in different places, at different times. It's not holistically one or the other. I believe that. The truth is there's another king. It's King Jesus. He's worthy of our highest, Greatest devotion of all we are, of all we have. So then how do we turn the world right side up? How are we supposed to even try that, right? Well, the text shows us, take a look. It says we make him our king. That's what we have to do. We have to make him our king. We live our lives under his authority and design. Which, by the way, if you follow Scripture... And you live your life under the authority and design of God, that is gonna be completely countercultural to our country, <laughs> to our world. It will be. But it's not just saying, I believe these things, it's actually being obedient to those things. It's actually obeying those commands. It's us placing Him above all things in our lives our rights, our dreams, our families, our work, even our own nation. Jesus is supreme as his disciples to live for jesus is to acknowledge surrender to his will over our own and listen friends if we do that if you truly make jesus king above all things it's going to disturb some people there'll be people in your family that go what there'll be people in your crew that go "Well, you're not getting drunk this weekend what are you talking about no i'm not because i'm going to follow my king What, you mean we can't have sex anymore because we're not married? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, that's what I'm saying because I'm not king. Jesus is king. And I choose to obey my king. When he's your king and Lord, you obey. And you serve him with all that you are and all that you have. But it will disturb some people. And it will require you to make a decision. You can't serve two gods. You can't walk two paths. Follow your king. Acts 17 verse 8 says, And the people of the city and the city authorities were disturbed when they heard these things. And when they had taken money and security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. You know, I don't know if it's because they had heard what had happened in Philippi. They had heard that the, the authorities and the magistrates kind of got embarrassed in Philippi. And they, so they weren't going to arrest Jason or the others. They just said, listen, just pay a bond and we'll... Isn't it funny how money always seems to kind of... That's just weird, isn't it? You mean, you just said these guys are turning the world upside down, but if you've got a little cash, we'll let it go. What? You see who their God was. You see who their king was, right? So Jason and the brothers give a little bit of a bond, and they're given a warning, and so Paul and his team don't leave the same way they left Philippi. They leave under the cover of dark. You know, I like to Take a look in in Thessalonians and kind of take a look back through the overview of Acts and then yet the detailed information in Thessalonians. But Paul mentions in Thessalonians chapter 2 what a difficult assignment this was. Look at chapter 2, verse 1 and 2. It says, For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. Paul's saying, you guys don't understand. This was, this was hard. We came 100 miles. And this was difficult. We, were, we faced conflict. We faced persecution the whole time. We were trying to make Jesus known. It wasn't an easy location. It wasn't an easy assignment for us. However, the people that they came to take the gospel to received it. And they grew. The last point on your card is this. The church grew in Thessalonica. Look at this glowing, glowing report from Paul. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 verse 4 4 through 9. For we know, brothers, loved by God that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not only in word but also in power, in the Holy Spirit with full conviction. You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord. For you received the word in much affliction, with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere, so that we need not say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. He goes on in chapter 2, verse 13. And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you receive the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as word from men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. This is another lesson for us as believers and people who long to help other people see the truth of Jesus. It's not just what we say, it's how we live. It's not just what we can prove, right? It's how we come alongside them and we live as an example. This is what Paul's saying. He not only taught them, he lived among them. He says, remember, I was an example and you were able to follow my example. And what's beautiful, in our vision statement, it says, we want to become authentic disciples. That's who we want to become. We're saying we're not there yet, but we're growing. We're becoming authentic disciples who make disciples. This is exactly what Paul says they did. In Thessalonica. They became disciples who made disciples. He says that you became imitators of us and the Lord. And then they became the example for the rest of the world. Look what it says. You became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere. You're doing it. Paul is able to see this little plant This thing that he invested in, it wasn't easy, it was difficult, but now he's able to step back and go, look what God's doing in you. Look how you're now the example. And then the Thessalonians did exactly what Paul did. It wasn't enough for the Thessalonians to say, oh, just believe this. They actually had to place their lives in obedience to Jesus as king as well. Look what it says here. It says, you turned from idols to serve the living and true God. Friends, it's not just what you say not just what you say you believe. We have to turn our lives from the idols in our lives that we truly live as their king. And we have to say, you're not the king. You're not most important in my life. And we have to choose King Jesus to be the utter most authority in all of our life. So what do we do? Where do we go from here? Well, as we're connecting to people, As we're trying to live intentionally with our neighbors, with our kids, with our families, with each other, have patience. Take time to reason, listen, dialogue, explain, open opportunities, conversations. Take time to prove and and give evidence of things in in our lives. But don't just get in, in your head. I'll just read these things and then they'll pray a prayer and lives will be changed. No, no, no. Yes, there's some things we want to explain, but then there's a part where we have to go, what I proclaim to you is that Jesus is the Christ. It has to be personal for you. It has to be, this is what's going on in my life, and I'm the greatest proof. So here's my question for us this morning. Where are you in this story? And do you smell like smoke? Do you smell like the smoke of the fire that God has lit in us here? What can we do? Can we do more? I I want to encourage you. You know, we're going to have another cohort this fall. We're going to have new Bible studies that we're going to be starting prior to our services. Our small groups are going to be kicking in. Uh, They've been going this summer, but they're going to be really kicking in this fall. And we're getting back into first principles and some other things. Come be a part of what God is doing and be intentional about going deeper in your faith. Plug in with us and... We'll help you figure out what your gifts are. And as we know what those gifts are, then we'll turn you loose to to serve people, to love people. Most importantly, the hope is that people will come to know Jesus. What are you doing with what you know about Jesus? That's the question. Because you probably know quite a bit about him. Are you just keeping it to yourself? Because that won't help anybody. Let's have conversations. Let's take the fire that God has lit in us And take it to the world. Because listen, friends, this world is jacked up. It's turned on its head. And every act of following Jesus, serving him, worshiping him, loving him is countercultural. But every time we serve him and know him and someone comes to know him more and we serve a little bit further, we're slowly turning this world right side up. I believe that. I believe that. That's the gospel of Jesus May you see it for what it really is. May you see yourself for who you really are and what this world needs and then have the courage to do something about it. Pray with me. Father, we love you. And we need you. I just don't want to play church, God. I don't want to just have a group of people that we play church with. That's not, that does not interest me at all. Because my life is not a plaything, God. I've come to the realization that I should have died and you didn't allow me to die. You gave me life. And I, don't, I, I deserve hell. God, that's what I deserve. I deserve this place called hell that's very real. But by your grace, Lord, you have saved me and you have redeemed me and you've changed me. And so in your grace and your mercy, Lord, you have given me hope. And God, I know that we, we can't count on tomorrow. We can't count on our next breath. So with whatever breath you give me, if you give me more today and if you give me some tomorrow and next week and next year, God, by your grace, may I be singing of who you are, my king. God, may I be be living in such a way that I'm helping this world turn right side up to see you for who you are and the beauty of the gospel. God, may we have the courage to turn from the things, these idols that we've made all important in our lives and surrender to you, King Jesus, so that you might equip us and empower us to change this world. God, I know that people here this morning, they may be struggling with some things in their lives and their hearts and their families. And I pray that we could be an encouragement to them. If we can pray for them, we would love to do that. Lord, if there's someone here that doesn't know you as Savior and they want to just ask some questions or ask for someone to pray with them, we would love to do that, God. Lord, maybe there's somebody here and they just want to come to this altar and, and pray in this altar and just weep before you and worship before you, and then praise God, let them do that, Lord. But whatever the case may be, we, may we have the strength, to, the desire, Lord, the, the courage to say, I'm willing to smell like smoke. I'm willing to get involved, I'm willing to give of myself, I'm willing to partner and covenant, I'm willing to serve, I'm willing to lead, I'm willing to do ministry because I don't wanna be somebody who just continues to bump from one thing in this world to another as this place is turned upside down because I see the truth and I see the change you can allow me to be a part of and that's what I wanna do with my life. God, may we lay down all that we are, may we surrender our rights before you, King Jesus, may you take rule over us and may we follow you in all things and we pray it in Jesus' precious and wonderful name.